Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the Whatever It May Be podcast. I am your host, Mark Wells, and this is episode five. I'm really, really excited for today's guest because I met this gentleman a few years ago through Dan Miller, who was our episode three guest. And if you haven't listened to that yet, please go back and take a listen to Dan and all the interviews we've done up until this point because I think each of the guests that we've had on has something to offer for just about anyone. But the guest today is a local chiropractor here in the capital region of New York State at Malta Chiropractic. His name is Wakas Pervez. And up until he came over uh, just a couple days ago to record this episode, that's all I knew was that Wakas was a chiropractor. But I soon found out there's a lot more to the story and you're about to hear that in just a few. Wakas was born in Pakistan, grew up in Oman, and then moved to the United States at 10 years old in a chase for the American dream. And I would say up until this point, he's done a pretty darn good job of doing that. Aside from being a chiropractor, Wakas is also a volunteer firefighter locally. He has a bit of a dancing career, which he'll get into a little bit. And uh, he also uh, did some wrestling back in the day. But aside from all that, Wakas gives some incredible insight on on health and diet, on fitness and mobility, and maybe most importantly on life in general and just the way he tries to go about living it each and every day. He's definitely a guy that likes to carpe diem and do all he can to get the most out of life. And I think if you can take a few morsels of what Wakas has to offer, you'll be in great shape. Aside from that, you know, he's, the thing that makes him a really great guest is that he brought me cookies. And his mom gave him a great tip years ago that you always bring a gift the first time you come to someone's house. So, Wakas, as I told you during the show, every time you come back will be the first time. So enjoy episode five of the Whatever It May Be podcast with Wakas Pervez. And if you would like to be a guest, please feel free to reach out because I'd love to hear your story and get it out into the world. We recorded this episode in May of 2022, and without further ado, here he is, Wakas Pervez. Wakas Pervez, whatever it may be, so happy to have you here on the program after we talked about it for a while and you're finally here in the homestead and ready to talk a little bit about your life. How does that feel? Exciting, nervous. I don't think I've had a platform to speak on it, so I'm super excited for it regardless. Yeah, absolutely. And you've been in the Saratoga area for most of your life, would you say? Or what's your background kind of? Yeah, definitely. So two-thirds of my life I've been in the United States and specifically in the Saratoga County area. Came to the States in 96. Uh, Came to the USA, immigrated here from Pakistan. Well, Oman. I was born in Pakistan and such. And how old were you in 1996 when you moved here? I was 10. Okay. So I was 10 years old. There's still, uh, if you get me started on a, in my uh, in English, there'll be some words that I can't say well. Like um, V's and W's, I always mix up because I can speak multiple languages. So I'll be like, wow. I mean, wow. So that always comes out. So Yeah, so so your, my last name would be Vels? Kind Vels. Of? Okay. Yeah, Mark Vels. <laughs> <laughs> so, so coming over here at 10, do you have a lot of memories, would you say, from your time in Oman? Or, or was it? Yeah, yeah. So... Um, so born in Pakistan, lived there for a year and a half-ish, and then immigrated to Oman, which is a country corner of Saudi Arabia, uh, and lived there for about eight years. Uh, went to elementary school there. We went to a private school. And good memories. I uh, remember most things, but definitely 
nothing like the memories that I've made here in the States and such. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that you see the globe over here in the corner, but I wasn't 100% sure where Oman was. So that, yeah. I think that helps our, our listeners too. They don't have to pull off to the side of the road and, and, and look that up on a map. So that's interesting. Did your parents, was it a plan they had for a long time or how did that evolve where they end up coming to the States? Yeah, my um, mom was a teacher's aide in the private school that we went to and my dad used to work for an airline company and i think at that time back in the 80s and 90s america was looked upon and i'm I'm sure it still is looked upon as the land of the opportunity right you can anybody can make it if you just work hard and that's what the premise was when we came here to give their kids us a better opportunity whether it's education whether it's in life whether it's in work um to just have a better opportunity to come to America and make something of ourselves that maybe we wouldn't have been able to, whether it's in Oman or Pakistan or other third world countries and such. Yeah, absolutely. So how many siblings do you have? Yeah, I have an older sister and uh, one older sister and one younger brother. So they're, um, my sister's awesome and she's supposed to be the bully of the house, which is great. Yeah. And uh, my brother, younger, very emotionally intelligent. He's an actor and a model in New York City, which means he's a waiter. I razz on him a lot. <laughs> but he's, he's doing good for himself in that realm. That's great. We, we just just briefly on your on your brother. So did he, has he been in acting and such for, for quite some time? Or Yeah, he went to um, FIT in New York City. He did a high fashion advertising and marketing. And then he got into uh, modeling and then he got into acting. So I think people have heard of the show NCIS. Yeah. Yeah. So he was on one of the show, one of the um, episodes as a guest star and he's done commercials for like different, uh, I think like Gap, uh, a bunch of bed sheets, uh, State Farm, MTV he's been on. Uh, so d- different things. So he's now on Broadway uh, on Kite Runner. So as of right now, he is on the Kite Runner and Broadway and they'll be starting in June. So yeah, go see the Kite Runner in New York City. That's very, that's very <laughs> cool. And was it tough for him through the pandemic? You know, being in New York City, or was that not all that difficult? I think it's difficult, regardless whether you're in the city or the suburbs or urban area. Um, I, I, that would be a him question. Him and I don't really talk in a sense of like, hey, how are you feeling today? It's sure. more like this banter back and forth of this brosif communication where I'm his older brother and I'm there to guide and advise. I'm not there to listen to your feelings. That's what mom is there for. Right. So I'm very um, uh, judgmental with words of encouragement with him. Yeah. And uh, very proud of everything he does, even though there's a lot of battle being in that industry. Yeah. Just know that we're, we're rooting for you. That's great. And and how about your sister? What's she up to? She works for a third party company that works for the Department of Health. And uh, she also does a lot of work with our community center in down in Albany. So she's super active. Almost everybody works a very difficult, intense hour job, whether it's in the acting or modeling field or my sister working multiple jobs or me engaged in so many other activities that I'm engaged with as well. We're not short on hard work and really putting in the time that's needed. That, that seems to be a common theme with a lot of people that come over here from another country, right? The, Absolutely. The, the mindset of working hard and you can achieve whatever you want to achieve if you put your mind to it. So that's that's fantastic. That's so true. I mean, the original concept of America was land of the opportunity. You can make something. I think uh, Jay-Z has a song about New York. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, right? It's the same concept to us when we come to America. If you can just work hard and you have to be disciplined and you will get there. It might take a little longer, but you'll get there. 
Well, that, I guess that brings us to you, you know, our, our special guest today. So tell us a little bit about what you do and how you ended up kind of going down that road. Yeah. Um, so I came to the States in 96 and went to middle school, high school here. And, you know, it's the funny thing is when I first came to the States, I had never seen snow. So I came over summer and uh, when, you know, November or December came around and snow, I've heard of snow. I had just never seen it. So when I felt it, I was like, oh, what's this cold stuff? I don't know if I'm attracted to it. So then we played it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is so much fun. Yeah. And uh, then I realized I love snow. And the f- second funny thing is in our country, in I think in Oman, the weekends are Thursday, Friday, not Saturday, Sunday. Because it's predominantly a Muslim country, Friday is our religious holiday, religious week, religious day of the week. Okay. So we have Thursday, Friday. So when I came to the country, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday yeah. off. <laughs> nope. Mom was like, that is not what happens here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely, uh, those are some of the nuances that I had to learn and stuff like that. And went to middle school here, went to high school here. Um, then I went to college, did a bunch of sports in college, uh, got on a dance crew, then was on a part of a dance team, worked a lot as well. That again, got into grad school, went and got my doctorate as a chiropractor and worked for about a year. And when, uh, now I have my own clinic with my partner and we house a bunch of different things. And actually when I started my college career, I also became a volunteer firefighter and I've been a volunteer firefighter since 2005. And, um, when we came to the States, my parents bought a motel, as most immigrant parents do. They end up buying a business so then they can run it at their own efficiency, at their own timeline, and make the profits and work themselves to make profits for their family. So we that was pretty much uh, my life in a nutshell uh, yeah. from 20 years ago. <laughs> well, I think it's neat, you know, especially when you touched on, on your the Muslim faith and, and Friday being that special day. And obviously you moved to a new country where that's all no changed. Law. So is that from from the Muslim Muslim faith perspective? Does that change for you now that you're in the states, or do you still kind of treat Friday as kind of a holy day, if you will? I think for me, it is the holy day gets resembled because you have the specific Juma prayer, uh, which is a prayer outside of your normal five praise uh, prayers a day you must do, mm-hmm. um, and. I don't treat it differently. I mean, I've always looked at it as prayer is prayer. That's a conversation you have between you and God to talk to him. And if you want God to talk to you, you read the book, uh, Quran, and he will talk to you about how your life needs to be led or guided and such. So I don't think I've changed the mentality. I think as a kid, it's a day off. Yeah. And then we have to go to prayer, you know. As you get older, you understand the nuances or uh, the, the value that that um, service provides, whether it's through cultural pro- uh, appreciation or religious appreciation or even a nationality appreciation. So I think it helped me understand better, but um, I didn't change the concept of that Juma prayer for me or that Friday prayer for me. When it comes to faith, like you mentioned, as, and I, I can relate to, you know, having to go to church on Sunday and that kind of thing. And then as you become an adult, you know, some people, you know, move away from their faith and some people get closer for you. Was there any gap or as you kind of grew up, did it something that kind of grew with you as you went? Absolutely. When we were in middle school, we had Sunday school. Our Sunday school was Friday night and Sunday, most of the day, half the day, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that 
was more of a social thing from the kids perspective but parents you want your kids to not forget or be associated around the kids with the same faith or nationality or ethnicity so you don't feel left out so that was really crucial and you made friends of your own ethnicity or even outside of your ethnicity but the same faith so faith has always guided my decision whether it's you know me working out or me joining a new business or me making a decision with my family faith has definitely been a strong part of um, my mental calmness i guess you could say yeah and i i wouldn't be here anywhere or be able to do anything without the big guy upstairs without his right hand i i, I can't move so yeah. for me i've gotten stronger closer to it that yeah i i i, never, I had a conversation with someone the other day too and it's, it's amazing when when you know not everyone, it's not that, that for everyone, but I think when, when you do find that in your life, especially at times where maybe you didn't have it, um, to truly really value and, and see the value and what that brings to your life is huge. And it probably leads in some level, I mean, being a volunteer firefighter is an act of service. It's really putting yourself out there, putting yourself at risk to help other people. So how did, how did that come about? How did you so, get into that? <laughs> so the big thing, my ultimate goal has always been three different facets. Um, it's to help others through physical medicine, chiropractor through help people through physical movement personal training and weightlifting and then help people through community service so volunteer firefighter and you can use whichever avenue you want but those are the ones that i chose for my overarching goal to help people the fire department it's not this crazy story it's a simple story my buddy he was a firefighter for a year or so and he was like hey would you like to join i was like sure that's as simple as it gets. There was no yeah. like, oh, we have a lineage of firefighters and we have this much and that thing. No, it was just a simple, hey, would you like to join? I'm very big on, hey, let's try new opportunities. And once you try it, you can say yes or no to it. And I think the fire department helped guide some of my leadership roles that I am in right now because it allowed to put some force on me to make good decisions that is not meant for myself but meant for the community. So you need to think fast and you need to think appropriately and you need to think in safety first. From there, once those filters are crossed, then you can make that decision and that decision becomes faster and more aggressive when you're on the fire scene versus when you're training, which is why we train. You don't just train like, oh, what do we do here? Oh, we put the wet stuff on the hot stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's not just firefighter. Okay, okay, write it down, write it down. Okay, more wet stuff and the hot stuff. Yeah. So there's more to training than just that kind of stuff. So, uh, and then through that, um, now I am a fire company of Malta director, and I've been in since 2005, like I said, and um, played different roles. I've never been a lieutenant or a captain, never uh, drove through that, but I've done a lot of different state qualifications so I can better myself as a firefighter because you're only as good as your weakest link. And if you're the weakest link, you need to either better yourself or maybe figure out how you can reconnect the link differently. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that ties into work and, and really anything you do. If, if, if you're not a cohesive unit, if you're not working together for a greater good, um, obviously, in, in this case, it's, it's life and death in a lot of cases, making sure that everyone's on the same page. Um, I think this is interesting for me because I, I just don't know the answer. When you are a volunteer firefighter, and it's probably different depending on where you do it, but is it a thing where you're literally on call all the time or do you have certain days where if something happens, you know, they'll call you in? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, with the volunteer department, you have to understand, firstly, it's a volunteer department. So not everybody can make all the calls. So during certain hours, like let's just say 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. when people are working normally, we have other departments that are 
rung or called upon as a mutual aid, regardless if it's a small call or a more intense call. Um, just in case it turns into an intense call, you rather not wait for the intensity to go up for them to call. Now, you also have a grace period. Once you become a firefighter, you have to go through a probationary period and you have to have certain trainings. And then the chief must approve you to become interior qualified, okay. meaning going inside a structure. Otherwise, you're exterior and all your tags are labeled so just in case you try to sneak in there yeah. hey i got it uh-uh, get out right <laughs> you got <laughs> we got people that are qualified to do that and the chief has such a difficult job and then his lieutenant or his captains and lieutenants because they have to manage all the black hats which are uh, normal firefighters to make sure that they're given proper uh, protocols to follow or proper tasks to complete because you still have to report back. So communication is so crucial from all the way down to all the way up. So just because you become a firefighter on Monday from in any company, volunteer company, doesn't mean by Tuesday you're out there fire, fighting fires. Uh, in our district, Malta uh, specifically, uh, we've grown significantly and we have uh, almost over 500 calls per year. Wow. So that's more than one call a day. Uh, and because of the growth, which is great, we also have a good cohesive bond with our neighboring communities, which allow us to then help them or mutual aid them in different calls that happen. Because you should also have that set up just in case there's not enough that yeah. show up, right? Like you might get a call in the middle of the day and everybody's at work. Well, that's why the mutual aid's there to have the supporting communities support the main uh, firehouse to make those calls and make it safe for whether we get there do the call and make it back safely oh my gosh yeah. wow yeah there's a lot i mean you figured there's a lot to it but that's even more in depth than i realized yeah it's, it's a lot more of a science than just like we put the wet stuff on the hot stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> no it's good oh man with, with, with the beginning part i mean i'm still trying to digest everything you told me just in the first few minutes but you you, you snuck in there and i don't know if you meant to sneak it in that you were you were on a dance team or you you did some dancing oh as well. yeah yeah <laughs> I caught that with cost, you know. I was trying to be subtle, but you are right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I have a dance background and uh, specifically in breakdancing. And um, I picked it up in high school, uh, not in high school, in college. Um, there was a <laughs> my cousin who was in college at that time and I was in high school and I saw him dancing, doing some six step on the floor. And I was like, oh, my God. That is so cool. How do I learn? This is like YouTube was just coming out and it was something that I wasn't aware of. So I would just like practice things in my room or somehow not breaking stuff. And then I worked <laughs> at a job and we were super slow. And this um, guy showed me some moves. and I was like, oh, my God, that's really cool. Then I w met one of my buddies who was actually a breaker. And then he started teaching me stuff and I started practicing more. And then I got into a dance team, which we were probably two to three years we were on a dance team together we performed all over the place we performed at colleges we performed at uh, dance festivals we performed at competitions we performed at uh, uh, religious events and stuff like that so we did a bunch of different things and my job specifically for the dance team was to do stunt work so back handspring flips um, backs flips um, windmills and all those things that look cool is just to draw audience to that move so that's pretty much how i got into dancing because it's cool and then it's also athletic i had um, a wrestling background in high school i did a i was a four sport athlete in high school the fourth sport was a travel team it wasn't like i was four sports yeah. on uh, high school but um it just 
helped me stay active, active. And when you're young and limber, you can do all these things. As you get older, just like getting out of bed, you're like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> making dad noises and such. So right. <laughs> so for me, it was that uh, I wrestled a little bit in college. We started a club at Hudson Valley, and I was only there for a year, and I hoped it had gone forward, but um, I had moved on to my next uh, college which I was unaware of what happened to the group, uh, the club that we started. But um, slowly I went away from wrestling and became more of a dancing thing. And I went to school. Uh, I did some classical dancing at different colleges to understand better and realized that breakdancing is more of what I like to do. And then when I went to grad school, dancing took a pause on the side and books took the front. So, oh, so, so it sounds like fitness and staying Active has always been an important part of your life? Yeah, actually, it's funny. Uh, I weighed, I think I weighed like 90 pounds when I came to the States in 50, fifth grade in 96. Yeah. By the end of fifth grade, they do like a physical test or something like that, an examination of your height, weight, BMI, and I weighed 150 pounds. So within like a year, I'd gained 60 pounds and... And probably not good 60? Absolutely not. Yeah. And this is fifth grade, right? right. So you this chubby boy... And also because in Oman or Pakistan, we didn't have fast food. Like Pizza Hut was like a big five-star restaurant that you would go sit down and maybe go once a month type of thing. Pizza Hut here and McDonald's here is like, oh my God, dollar menu, you got it. (laughs) So that was just easy burgers, easy fries, easy soda. And I had gained weight up till I think in eighth grade. I weighed about like 200, 210 pounds max, maybe in ninth grade. I um, was at that as well, but I was like five foot two. Yep. Right. And and right now you're how tall? Just to give people reference. Five eleven. Five. Okay. Five eleven. Yep. I weigh two twenty five now, uh, but a different two twenty five. Sure. Right? And um, so actually, I got, I was in the football for ninth grade, and my dad was like, "Hey, this will." help you make friends and I was like no I need to be the most competitive and strongest person my dad's like just try to make friends you know yeah and uh so then I went to basketball and I got cut from the team and one of the kids from the wrestling team actually his dad is like hey I'll give you a ride home no problem and I was like he was like what happened I was like oh I got cut and he's like well, why don't you try out for wrestling I was like oh I've never done wrestling he's like ah just come tomorrow and we'll see what happens and that's where my wrestling journey started, and that's where my weight loss journey started. So I was <laughs> 200-ish, 5'2", and then I grew up to be like 5'9", 5'10", at the end of high school. And I weighed like a buck seventy. but now I'm becoming stronger and growing into this physique yep. uh, that is much more uh, stronger and masculine, I guess you could say, or not this doughy. But you're also turning into a man. You yeah. Know? So um, definitely that's where my weight loss journey began and the discipline that it comes with uh, controlling certain parts of your life that you can control and knowing let go of things you can't control, but make sure you're aware of things you can't control so you don't feel like you're out of control. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And obviously we'll dive deeper into your career in a little bit, but um, I think obviously weight loss and and just your overall well-being is a struggle for a lot of people. And maybe on some level, that's what led you down the path of your career. Maybe it's an easy question, maybe not. But do you did you do you equate most of it to just getting more active, or you started eating better? What do you think is the number one key for folks to kind of look at when it comes to that kind of thing? I think the biggest thing that people assume is that they have to do something out of the norm to get the results that they're expecting. Okay. Uh, the simplest example I can give you is if you have a pet, right, a dog, cat, a iguana, whatever. 
if the pet gains a lot of weight or is now much heavier than that of its original weight do you go on a keto diet do you put the pet on a low carb diet are we gonna do a liver cleanse or probably not right you're gonna be like hey let's walk a little bit more and eat a little less it's that simple it'll take a few months and you'll get there yeah why do we treat our pets better than treating ourselves that's true you know why do we need to do a colon cleanse and that's how we're going to lose the weight why do we expect less why do we why are we so aggressive with ourselves and not so aggressive with our pets that we love don't we love ourselves as much so in a sense of like diet or exercise and all that jazz the way i look at it is the best exercise is the best and the best diet is the one that you can stick with yeah if it's keto great if it's low carb great if it's vegetarian great if it's carnivore great whatever it is if it's moderation great whatever it is it has to work for you and if it doesn't then maybe switch it up do the intermittent fasting do something else but it has to work for you that's where i believe like is the best advice for health and fitness what what works for you? Can I ask that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for me, I have a huge sweet tooth. So uh, I'm big on just, I try to have a protein with every meal. Yeah. And I try to have a fiber with every meal. And I try to drink my body weight, half of my body weight in ounces okay. of water. Yeah. So if I weigh 225 pounds, I need to drink at least 100 something of ounces of water. Now, if I don't get to it, it's not the end of the world. As long as your pee is clear... You're good. But having a fiber and a protein with every meal is probably the the biggest ammunition people don't realize they need to help with satiety, which is to calm yourself down and you feel full. Mm -hmm. And once you feel full, you're going to stop eating. So protein usually is better than carbs or fats. Like give an example. You can eat a lot of pasta. Yeah. But you can't eat a lot of chicken. That's true. Right? Yeah. You can eat a lot of mac and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> but eating steak is difficult to eat a lot of ounces of it. Yeah. So that's where that comes in. And fiber makes you feel full. And so does protein. And protein gets digested in your stomach. And carbs get digested in your mouth. Oh, I didn't know that. So like next time you eat pasta, just, just straight pasta. See how much of it you put it in your mouth. And then how much of it goes down into your stomach. Next, then have some chicken, just straight chicken. See how much of it digests in your mouth and how much of it goes down to your stomach. Much more protein. Gets that makes done. sense. You know, just saying that, I've, I've yeah. never done that, that specific it's thing, a, but it makes sense. It's a simple thing. And even like salads, right? Most of it gets chewed up and stuff like that because it's fibrous and fiber is a carb, but it also has to go down. So fiber helps motility, which means um, helps move stuff in your stomach to the exit. Right. No, yep. that's great. So do you, are you someone that eats the same, uh, oftentimes the same things all the time, or do you switch it up from day no, to day? No, I, I, I used to be on a diet when I was in grad school, and that's the only time I've had a six-pack. And I was like, oh my God, it is so much discipline to get a six-pack. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I used to do the chicken and a few vegetables like zucchini, cucumber, carrots, um, and Brussels sprouts with a few vegetables and then rice. I would always do rice and it sucked, but you know what? It got me to a six pack and I got it and I was like, great, but it was not worth it. And people out there in podcast land, six pack is not a sign of strength. It's just a sign that you don't eat enough. Interesting. You know, and that's the only way there's, it's just your body has reduced so much fat that muscle underneath has shown. That's what fat loss is, right? Yep. 
Uh, and I'm a big believer on body fat percentage versus like BMI. Because I'm considered, I think, 40 pounds overweight, but I'm at about 18% body fat, which is lower than the average male. And there should be, like women, uh, I'm going to go a little gender, um, women should have more fat than men because their hormonal balance mm -hmm. and other things that are needed to support their hormones and their daily physiology. Um, so for men, you should have a lower body fat than women, but you should have a body fat that works for you, you know, something that is strength. So nine, 18, uh, 21 is great for men. The best would be like 15. And if you go below that, you won't get stronger. You'll just get leaner. So, and usually when people like we have a fitness center and people talk about, I want to lose weight. What they really want is to lose body fat. Exactly. Right. I just yeah. want more definition. Yeah. Right. So we work a lot in our fitness center about strength training. So if you get stronger, your muscles tend to pop a little bit more. And if you have more muscle mass, you tend to have less body fat and muscles actually burn calories more and at a different rate than, um, someone that has less muscle mass that, yeah ab absolutely that that's it's i i think i could talk about this kind of stuff all day because it is <laughs> fascinating uh, one other thing briefly on, on you do you find that certain times of year you tend to be leaner than others or are you pretty consistent where you're at um, about 18 percent all the time yeah i'm i keep it about 18 to 19 percent all year round um with the wrestling background, uh, the funny thing about wrestlers is they have summer bodies in the winter and winter bodies in the summer because wrestling's during winter time. Yep. So you have these lean muscle mass guys that are just like cutting weight and such. And because we've cut weight all winter long in the summer, we just want to let go. So we're these chubby boys when it comes to actual summertime <laughs> when everybody else is trying to lean out and stuff. So right. uh, for me, uh, I, I can maintain 18% all year round, which is why it works for me. Like it works for me. Somebody else might be like, Hey, 20% is my goal. And I tell people, try not to compare yourself to others, right? Like you and I are having a chit chat and are, we have a little bit of age difference. We have a little bit of fitness different. We have a little bit of what we like and don't like difference. And all those will determine our behavior and our habits. And all those habits will determine how we feel and look. Yeah. And if we can control most of those behavior and habits, then we will have a better control of how we feel and look. And if we can't, then we don't have control and so on and so on. It goes down the other side. Now, with that being said, you might be really comfortable at 15% body fat and, or at 20% body fat. But it has to work for you. And like I said, the diet has to work for you. Like I used to work out over summer. Three times a week, I would work out twice a day. Four times a week, I would only work out once a day. But I was also exhausted running the business, also doing firefighting stuff. And I also helped my dad with this motel and then also doing some work with my family just because you have to have some family life yeah. and trying to find a social life, right? Yep. There's, um, I think there's a circle I saw. Uh, so in undergrad, I, I did a double major, double minor. So I have a uh, bachelor's in science as well as bachelor's in psychology. And then I have a minor in sociology and women's studies. So in psychology they have this circle and then the circle is broken up into three parts. There's sleep, there's work and there's leisure or social. Mm -hmm. You can only have two. So either you can sleep and work and you're not going to hang out with friends. You can hang out with friends and work and you're not going to get much sleep or you can hang out with friends and sleep and you're not getting much work done. Yeah. So you have to figure out which two and it's a dynamic thing. Sometimes you're working a lot, you're sleeping out, you're not hanging out with friends. Sometimes you're hanging out with friends and working out, you're not getting a lot of sleep. So, you have to figure out what works for you. Sometimes you're working a lot. 
No problem. Sometimes you're sleeping a lot. No problem. Sometimes you're hanging out. No problem. So the way I look at it from what I can do from a fitness perspective or maintenance is it has to work. Am I a little chunkier some days and am I a little um, leaner other days? Yeah. But the whole point of it is not a day-to-day, a week-to-week, years. Can I maintain it? And if I can, that's what we're going for. That's that's great. And I and I can attest because we'll, we'll mentioned the sweet tooth. He, his mother is a great woman. I've never met her, but great advice. He brought me a few cookies, so he must he must have known on some level. <laughs> Absolutely. I, so some things do work for both of us, Vikas. You know? I mean, <laughs> I know I'm a true fatty underneath. Don't let the body fool you. It is, my mom always said, um, whenever you go to someone's house the first time, you should always bring a gift. Yeah. Well, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. And every time you come back, let's consider it the let's first get, time. Okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. We might put a damper on your waistline because I bring true. good stuff. So that's that. No, it, it look they look great. So I can't. I can't wait. I mean, I'm happy to share, of course, with Cosmo. Yeah, yeah. You, you know oh my God! No, that that is um, that's fascinating stuff. Um, and what, just one last quick thing on that because I want to make sure I have it right. When you label work. Um, and, and that circle that you mentioned, is that work meaning working out or working on your job? Are those kind of bunched in together? Anything that's not sleep so, or recreational kind of thing? Yeah. So working out usually tends to fall within a social construct. Yep. Um, work would be anything that pays you, whether it's a passive income, active income, or other facets of money coming in and such. So that's what they mean about work. So whether it's like, oh, I go to nine to five, or I work nine to five and I have a side hustle, or I own my own business and I have to do whatever hours are required to get the job done. Yeah. So being, you know, having a business, which we're really going to dive into here in a moment, which is multifaceted, obviously the firefighting, what does your leisure time look like? What is it? What does what cost like to do when he's not, you know, burning it at both <laughs> that, ends? <laughs> that is, that's a really great question. Um, three things that I'm a big fan of is a lot of the things that I, actually do are part of my leisure so i enjoy being a chiropractor and i love like i told you the big three thing a big thing is helping people and i throw chose three venues to help people which is physical medicine physical movement and community service so i get a chance to be a firefighter and drive million dollar trucks yeah and i get a chance to help people move better and help them through better uh, physical health. And then last part is help them with pain relief and increased range of motion and just understand that they have a life outside of pain. Outside of that, that also brings me joy. I've been trying to read a book a month, Mm -hmm. just random books, whatever come on. And the three, four categories of books that I've been reading is personal growth, financial literacy, emotional intelligence, and just documentaries on different things. Like just actually, I don't know what they're, are they called? Autobiographies? Autobiography, thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> my English isn't so good still. Uh, <laughs> don't mind my doctorate. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, no, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I just love learning. Like right now, uh, I'm listening to an audio book by Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's called uh, something like The Fastest Way to Learn Auto- uh, Astrophysics. And I'm also reading uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins on business growth and developing a leadership mentality and a business mindset. Um, so, and bunch of the stuff so it's just like reading is a good thing and then also hanging out with family and sometimes hanging out with family just means we have tv on everybody's on their ipad or yeah. phone yeah <laughs> right the tv oh are you watching that i was watching that dad and right as soon as the channel changes all the time yep or i'll be home visiting we have an office up in fort covington which is where my dad is and he's still working he's an attorney so same he's very much like you very very into fit. and part of the reason why he's still working at 78 is very fit 
still working as an attorney, very, very into the community and his church and so on. But when I go up there and I work at the office up there, we'll, we'll be watching something. I'll see him doze off in the chair and you change it. What, what's going on? What's going I'm on? Not, <laughs> you wanted to watch. You got to ask me. Dad, you were sleeping. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so that that is so funny. But it is. It, mindset is so important. And, and I think, like you said, focusing on a few areas of your life where you can really make a difference. And I think as humans, oftentimes we get down on ourselves for the things that we don't have. But when you can focus in on a few areas where you really are quite special in making a difference, I think just that change of mindset can make all the difference for, for people. Yeah, and and I'll be honest, like um, as I was going through grad school, I, um, it becomes difficult because uh, you're, there's also a statistics that says there's less than 1.8% of the U.S. populations that have their doctorate. And within that 1.8%, even fewer are practicing uh, doctors, whether mm -hmm. it's PhD or other types of docs versus clinical docs. And some people have their docs in research and so on. So it's a very small percent of population. But when you're in that school, you're around everybody that's smart. Mm -hmm. And it's hard not to judge yourself based on all the high-level intelligence that's in the room or in the schooling. And it's hard not to be down on yourself, but you have to understand this is for a bigger purpose than just a few people, a couple hundred people that are in the school or a couple thousand people that are in the school. Yeah. And I listened to a couple of podcasts that talked to me about just being deaf to everything. And what does that mean? Hey, you look nice today. Yep. Thank you. Hey, you look terrible today. Yep. Thank you. Don't let it affect you, whether it's good or bad. You know, yep. take the criticism and swallow it and understand it take the pleasure or take the good things that were said about you swallow it and understand it because if you let it get to you then you're changing your emotions or changing the way you should behave based on someone else's opinion of what that is so when someone said hey mark you look terrible today you're like what what are you talking about versus like hey mark you look great you're like yeah i feel great too yeah you're but letting them control how you feel about that's yourself. That's exactly right. I was going to say, I put a tie on for you, Akaz. So I mean, I hope you, I look <laughs> you look great regardless if it's a tie or if it's not right. a tie. I that's mean, true. Uh, regardless, you do look great. And that's the other thing. I think the big thing for me is I became deaf to it because uh, when I was the president of my class, there was so much criticism on, hey, we need to get this done. We need to get that done. And I was like, okay, cool. So we get those things done. And there were still people that were just not happy. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, I had a friend at that time that would help me through some of these things because what she had said was, there's just going to be people that are mad that you're in that position mm -hmm. or they just don't want you in that position, but they don't want to be in it either. So to me, I was like, got it. Put it to the side. Hey, I still have to do the best job that I can at the time with the tools that I'm given. And if I can do it, great. If you guys vote me out, great. Maybe there is someone that does it better. God bless. Let them have it. Yeah. yeah, I don't want the the crap. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And um, another, I was a class president as well, so I can I nice. can relate to that. It's just unnecessary, and I will help you. But if you guys don't want it, that's okay. Let me know. Right? Yeah, and <laughs> and, and you can always tell. You can always tell when there's people that whether it be jealousy or what uh, what's going on in their own lives. That, you know, and like you said, if, if they may not like that you're doing it, but they don't want to do the it. Opportunity, yeah. they're not going to do it either. Yeah. So I found a lot of that. And even in grad school, I um, was a tutor for, I think I tutored uh, seven courses. And I was a TA for four courses. And I worked for admissions. And I worked at the fitness center. And then I took classes. I think we took like 32 or 33 credits per semester. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm very disciplined in getting things done, what's expected of me. I've always been a thought process like, hey, if there's too much on your plate, 
get a bigger plate, right? And I'm strong enough to hold that big plate. A couple of years ago, I found out I'm no longer strong enough to get a bigger plate. This is the biggest yeah, plate that I can found find. It. You got to I, that point. Yeah. And, and that's an important part of life oh, too. Oh, man. Right? I hate that I have to find my limit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it, man. It's like, no, I can do it. Do I want to though? <laughs> right. Have you have have you come to grips with it though? Would you say? Yeah, I I I let things go a little bit more. I definitely you know Elsa it as some of these young kids say it, let go, frozen it, and it's it's difficult because my I do have an ego and it definitely deflates my ego when I'm like, hey, uh, I'm unable to. And there was a book that I was reading. Uh, I think it's the art. Uh, of saying no, but I'm sure there's an F word in there somewhere. And, <laughs> and that book helped me understand that it's okay to say no. People will actually value you more if you cannot do something instead of you saying yes and being unable to perform that task for them or that favor for them. Yeah. So for me, I, I've learned to say no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's okay. Yep. It's okay. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm, I would say a, 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 on some level I can be a people pleaser or someone that doesn't want to tell somebody no. But like you said, in, in a lot of ways you're doing them a favor and, and you're doing yourself a favor by just being open. You know, do you want to go th- do this this Friday and you, you don't really feel it? And so you leave, kind of leave them hanging. You're stressed out about how I'm going to tell them. And it is a lot more freeing. And I think, you know, it's, it's a great, great tip that you offer there for yeah, sure. Yeah, my, my dad, I think uh, from what I remember he said, it's like you should never make a promise when you're happy. Interest. Go with that. I want to hear yeah. more about that. So what he talked about is like when people are super excited, like say you're hanging out with friends mm-hmm. and everybody's kind of like, hey, we should definitely go on that trip. You're like, yeah, I would love to go on that trip. Let's make plans to go on that trip. And you're hanging out. Everybody's yeses and yeses and yeses. And then when the time comes, hey, where's that trip? Oh, well, you know, come on, man. I thought you were going to. Yeah. I thought we were going to go to Costa Rica. No. Well, what? See, I didn't have the finances or the timeline is different. I already bought the tickets. I thought you said we, we were going to buy the tickets the next day and you I was waiting for you and now I'm the only one. So don't make promises that you can't keep or don't make promises when you're super excited about something. Yeah, and it's, and it's the same thing, super excited or super upset, right? Or super stressed. Yeah. You know? It, it's you, you can't, because then it becomes emotional. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that can be a good thing or a bad thing because I sometimes am unemotional on a lot of things. I'm super direct with things. Even though I might seem excited or I might seem sad, I still can control that aspect or best as I can control that facet of my emotions that like, hey, let me take a time out. Let me take a step back. Is this really what's best for me at this time for all the resources that I have? Or do I need to give it a few minutes? And if I'm uncertain, I always just take a step back and like, hey, let's take a pause. Give me a day, you know, Mm -hmm. and the day isn't too... Let me self calm myself down. The day is actually for me to gather more data. Is yeah. this really a good information? Is this really all the information I need about that trip to Costa Rica? Hey, Mark, let's go. We're going to Costa Rica. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And then I buy the tickets and Mark's like, hey, man, I already I, I can't give that up because of blah, blah, blah. So I have to take that step back and say, is this really something that I want to do? Or is this just like a hee hee ha ha? Let's make it happen. Right. So just taking that step back definitely helps. That, that's that's fantastic. I do want to jump into your to your career a little bit. Uh, Malta chiropractic, that's the name of the Malta chiropractic and sports rehab, yeah. And, and going back, the first time I went to a chiropractor was in high school. I had a sports injury, and, and you know the only thing I was ever accustomed to was probably what you are. You know, you lie on your back or lie on your side, and they snap this or snap that. And 
and which is great. I, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've always found value in it. Um, I, I recommend chiropractic, but um, I, I guess kind of met you through Dan and we can kind of talk about that in a little bit, but kind of talk about how your business evolved and how maybe it's different than what uh, other chiropractic offices are like or what people would know. Absolutely. So just to start my chiropractic journey, I've actually never been to a chiropractor and I went to, until I gone to chiropractic college and I'd never been adjusted until I went to chiropractic college. The premise that was attractive is um, there's a, uh, Dr. Robert Block is um, someone that I shadowed. He's the first guy that I shadowed and you have to have a certain amount of hours to shadow someone before you get into college. Like, is this really what you want to do? Mm-hmm. So I shadowed like five, six people, but he was the first one and he has a rehab model, which I was super attractive to. And then I shadowed a bunch of people, went to college, came out. And from our clinic, we actually, so that guy, Dr. Robert Block is now my partner. Wow. So yeah, yeah. So we partnered up and opened up a clinic in Malta. And what was he doing prior? So he's still, he's a chiropractor. As oh, well. he, okay. He he's was. A, yep. He has his own business, and then we have a business on our uh, of ourselves uh, together. And um, so we opened up a clinic, and within seven months of opening up the clinic, we were too big, and we had to move to a bigger facility. So now we have a sixty five hundred square foot facility in the heart of Malta, and we house chiropractic, we have massage, we have virtual reality, we have a fitness center, we have yoga, we have a spine stability program, and we're finalizing on acupuncture at this point. And we have some other facets that we'll be adding on, and as they do, we'll talk more about it yeah. then. But uh, it's a definitely multidisciplinary practice, and. As we were growing our practice, we might not have seen a lot of patients or this high volume practice, but we were really honed in on an audit process that made sure that what we were treating the diagnosis with, with the patients, really made sense and did it help. And the audit happened to be right in the office. Let me give you an example. So you come in with low back pain, mm-hmm. generic low back pain. We don't know what it is from. It's a disc injury. It's a spine injury. It's a hernia. It's a SI joint. It's a sciatica. We don't know. So we do an assessment, a thorough assessment. We figure out, hey, it's a disc injury. Hey, it's a facet injury. Hey, it's a SI joint. Hey, it's a sciatica coming from somewhere else. Cool. Is this something, not to cut you off, is this, is this something you can do just by kind of feeling around? or is this... we, we do it a lot of movement okay. therapy. So there's orthopedic examinations that has to be done. There's a physical examination that has to be done. There's a neuro examination that has to be done. And then there's a, prior to that, there has to be a history taken. So all these things that we do, actually, I used to be a TA for patient assessment. So you have to go location mechanism, onset, palliative, provocative. So all these things you have to do before you, I even touch you. Right. So when you come into our office, first, we're going to have you write a bunch of stuff down. Okay, this is your history. You came in, blah, blah, blah. And then you come into the room and me or my partner come in and ask you a bunch of questions. Then from there, we go into a physical or orthopedic examination. Does this hurt? Does this hurt? We're going to pull here, push here. Okay, okay. As we, okay, this hurts. Okay, got it in my head. What about this? This hurts. Okay, put those things together, a bunch of things. Okay, now let's see what exactly makes it worse. Okay, that's the thing that makes it worse. So let's reverse engineers. What would make that better? So then we have you do something, a physical movement, that would make it feel better. If it did, that's your exercise. Because here's the thing. As much as an adjustment is great, and it helps like 80% of the population, Friday night, Saturday night, you're not gonna, we're not going to be open. Mm-hmm. You're not looking for the adjustment. You just want the pain to go away. So that physical exercise we gave you that made it feel better right in the office before we adjusted you, that's your home care exercise. Yeah. And the adjustment is a catalyst that'll speed up the process. Great. So that's kind of our model. 
and our goal is conservative spine care specialist, not lucrative spine care specialist. We don't want to see you for the rest of your life. I'd rather see a price chopper or at the gym than coming to my office all the time because it keeps hurting, mm-hmm. right? And if it keeps hurting, something else is going on. Maybe we didn't hit the mark. Just like any MD, you come in, you have neck pain. The MD is like, here, take this thing. Two days later, it didn't work. Okay, that's not it. Something else. Take that thing. Oh, that did work? That's the thing it was. We just do it in practice, in office, at the time of your assessment. So that's how our model is different. And this was actually able to get us in with the Albany Empire when they won their first national championship, which is the Arena Football League. Yep. And we were get able to get in with the Albany Firewolves, which is a box lacrosse pro team as well. Very cool. So, yeah. So we deal with like high level athletes. We also deal with uh, college kids and high school kids and middle school kids for athletics. But majority of our patients are just like run of the mill mom, dad, um, that just like raking, shoveling, you know, yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> so we get a lot of those people that sit for long periods of time. Pandemic, when it struck us, we slowed down a little bit and then picked back up because everybody's back was hurting because they were all sitting and the neck was hurting because they were all on the computers and working from home. Yep. So it's a. Uh, it's a, it's a very cool practice because say you come in, you have back pain, and I realize, hey, it's just soft tissue. Great. We're going to adjust you. We're done with our treatment. You're going to go to our massage therapist, and they're going to handle that rest of the care because you don't need to. Plus, it's in office. You don't have to go out. You don't have to it's get great. a referral. Yes. Portal of entry, you can come on in. We'll assess you properly. And we are almost like a triage. Hey, maybe you need acupuncture. Hey, actually, you just need a massage. You just need a couple of workout sessions and you should be good to go. It's just a movement pattern that we need to build. So stuff like that. So most or all people that do come in for that initial consultation, they're meeting with you or your partner? Absolutely. Okay. You, we want you to, first of all, feel valued when you come in and we want you to be heard. Not a lot of people get a chance to tell their whole story before a doctor cuts them off. I think the timeline is like 15 seconds or something before a doc cuts you off and with a chiropractor it's like like seven minutes before they cut you off in a conversation right uh, we're much more open communication and your timelines of treatments are much longer so your initial appointment is about 45 minutes to an hour your follow-up appointments are about 10 15 minutes and we have a um, treatment rooms that are isolated away from each other we don't have like an open treatment room concept we want you to be able to have that privacy as you get treated because uh, sometimes we need to go to certain areas like the upper back area or the lower back area or the hammy area that people don't feel comfortable exposing in an open treatment room right so we have those closed doors and you know private treatment rooms for that reason wow, that's amazing yeah the one thing and maybe i'm thinking of something totally different but the one thing that seemed to not fit with everything else you mentioned was the virtual reality is that what i'm thinking or is that something different (laughs) so actually virtual reality is a very cool concept that we came across because we were interacting with some people from global foundries and one of the head over there invited us to come check out the vr rooms and the programs that they have there and we went there and it was mind blowing. And I was making small jokes. I was like, oh, this looks like Iron Man. This was back in like 2017 and 18. And he's like, no, 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 this is not like Iron Man. Iron Man is like 10 years old. And I was like, oh, that's crazy because you guys are so far forward with what are the things that you're doing. So that exp- inspired us to have a virtual reality room in our facility. So we have it for two reasons one is performance enhancement. The other is for um, kinesiophobic patients, so people that have trouble moving because they're afraid they might hurt themselves. Yeah. 
Um, and we believe in gamification of fitness to make it fun, make it into a game, and then you don't realize you're working out. So performance enhancements, we have a program called RESL, stands for resilience, yep. soccer-based program that's also used under Manchester United and Premier Blackwater League. I think I'm saying that, Premier League. And they use it once a week with their players for performance enhancements. And there are papers that we have that help you um, get 29% better from virtuality to actuality. So if you play this once a week for a certain amount of timeline, you will get better and it's low cost because you don't have to get all these soccer balls out. You don't have to have a big stadium. You don't have to go chase the ball out. You don't have to have someone with you. You can do it all by yourself because it's in this VR program. And this program actually collects all the data. So say you only kick with your right foot. He's like, hey, you actually kick with your in foot, right foot only, not your out foot. So we need to work on that. Maybe you're only really good at scanning the ball on your right and really bad on the left. So it collects all this data, sends it to your email. So then you can say, what do I need to do? So then when we have teams, we can say like, hey, this JV team needs to, everybody needs to work on this one part because they're all not so good at it. And the coach will collect this data and be like, hey, everybody on this team needs to do this. Or he can do it individually. You need to work on the second part. You need to work on the fifth part. You need to work on, and we give him that outlet. And then we can do JV team, guys, girls, varsity team guys girls and stuff like that yeah. and then for the kinesiophobic which is afraid to move we have an elder population that might be afraid to move or a post-op population someone who just went through surgery we have these games that you don't realize that you're playing but you're actually moving in full range because it's gamification so i'll give an example we have a game called job simulator okay all you do is you work at a job so you have these handles and you have to push here and you have to walk forward and you have to reach around and put it up top and so on but in medical terms they don't have full shoulder flexion motion but now they do when they're going for something so what does gamification of fitness means if you and i are working out and i say we're going to sprint 50 meters and I want you to do it as fast as you can. So you go and I go. Great. So we have a timeline for that. But if you and I race, you're going to go a lot faster yep. because it's like competition. Mm -hmm. That's what the gamification of fitness means. So if we make it into a game, you're apt to be become more accurate and faster than you would if you're doing it by yourself. Yes. Yeah. So that's the virtual reality aspect of it. It's, it, it's so true. I, I'm not a huge runner. I used to be a... a big run ran cross country and stuff i don't know you know back in high school and it was more to stay fit for basketball and, oh, okay, and other okay. sports but but when i you know so when it came to practice or you know the stuff in between the meets i definitely was not the hardest worker on the team no. but when but when the when the gun went off you know i would i would you know i was a really good runner and it's the same thing now if i were to go for a run around the neighborhood here mm -hmm. say i'm gonna run three miles i would probably stop a few times and walk but if i went over to a 5k downtown Race. I would. I know. I. I know. I would run the whole, and this, the whole thing. This is funny in a sense. Like, um, this is specific to guys. If you go to bars and they have the standing urinals, some of the standing urinals will have like targets on it. And they did research in my psychology course. I read this paper that they talked about having a target. So gamification. They found in this club cleaner cleaner. So they found in this club that inside the urinal, they set up the first year of this club to just have urinals with clear background, so white background. Then the next year, 
they had urinals with a target or like something, a widget, a, ta a person or whatever. And they found that when they had the little thing, a target to aim, they were less dirty at the end of the night because they were aiming for something yeah. versus when you're just aimlessly, right? And yeah. how can you know where to aim when you don't have a target? Right. So that was like a funny psychology paper, but it was drew so much attention because they had like a couple thousand uh, people going through these urinals and they they check the cleanliness of it and stuff like that. So same thing. If the game is you have to throw it as far as you can, great. But if you have to throw it as far as you can and you have to hit that target, your aim is going to be much tighter and your your speed is going to be much more. So uh, that's the gamification. Man, that's awesome. And and it does tie in because this was the question I was going to ask you, but I, I just talking to you, I have my own ideas. And I, I met Wakast a, a few years ago, I guess. He he works with an advisor in our office, Dan Miller. You can tell us briefly how you met Dan and how you managed to keep working with so, him after all this time. <laughs> but also, what, but the second part of that is I'm curious, with what you do, and I have some ideas just hearing you describe it, but in, in your experience working with us, how would you say the two things kind of are similar? You know, what Dan does with you and what you do with your patients. Absolutely. Uh, so Danny actually was a firefighter with me. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So him and I were in the fire academy. We took firefighter one together when we first joined. So, um, and then after a year, uh, when we graduated, uh, and became quote unquote official firefighters and we were allowed to go inside, I think he only stayed a year before he moved away. And then he came back in town and we reconnected. And then he told me he's, you know, a financial advisor and I didn't know much about, I was just learning about financial literacy and what that meant. What does it mean to have retirement? What does it mean to have a savings account and all that jazz? And he was advising me because I had just started this business. And he was like, hey, what do you want to do when you retire? I was like, oh, dude, I don't have time to retire. I got work to do. Yeah. And he's like, hey, you should always start with the end in mind. I was like, okay, all right. So then he became a financial advisor and he, he's helped me out. And every time he helps me out, I always refer someone to him. I think I've given him, quote unquote, given him 12 people because the reason I like Dan, forget him being a financial advisor. The reason I like Dan is because he's a teacher, mm -hmm. right? And that's what you want to find in an advisor. But as a friend, he's not there to judge you. Yeah, we're going to poke fun at each other. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's the kind of friendship we have. But it, he's there to educate if you're uninformed. And if you're uninformed, he's not there to pick on you. He's like, hey, he doesn't know any better. I'm sure there's things that I know that he doesn't know. I'm not going to like, oh, man, you don't know this? Come on, man. You're supposed to. No. So that's what I appreciate from him as a friend that he's a teacher. And that's how we met, which was the fire um, department and such. And what, like I said, with Dan being a teacher and doctor, I think the Latin root word means to teach. Okay. So in our clinic, we do a lot of teaching based. So our classes that are yoga based, our personal training that's yoga based, our virtual reality that's um, you know teaching based, and our spine stability, and then our chiropractic. So and my partner actually teaches for the chiro, chiro college as well, and. We have to teach patients how to better themselves because then we take the power from us and change that locus and put it to them. Same thing. Dan, when him and I chat about financial literacy or what should we do next or how do we want to move to our next step, he doesn't tell me what to do. He gives me points. Mm -hmm. And he's like, these are the things that work and these are the things that haven't worked. Where do you want to see yourself with all the situations and the resources that you have? Where would you like to move? He doesn't make a decision for me. He just shows me the options and which one would be best. And say six months from now, I want to change my options. Great. 
things have changed that have caused me to change my options. Yep. Like I said, he is very encouraging as well as very disciplined. It's what's expected of him as a, like he, he will say when that's not a right decision, yeah. which I also appreciate, right? In our clinic, if that's not the right thing to do, maybe this isn't a place for you either, right? Not that Dan says like this isn't a place for you, but in our office, um, we're very much here to help people but we can only help people if they want to be helped, helped right. right? Like if you want to just be adjusted, let's just say you come in, I just want to be adjusted. Great, we can do that. But we're going to be seeing you much more often because the adjustment, I can adjust someone every hour if I had to, mm -hmm. right? But that's not what we're here for. We're here to make your life better so you don't have to use us and only use us when you need us, not when you just need us just to have us around. Right. And Danny's the same thing. We meet every quarter just to make sure everything's tuned up. Yep. The tires are moving. The steering wheel's good. The oil's topped off. Cool. I'll see you in four weeks or four months or what have you. Yep. So that's what I appreciate from Dan. And then that transfers over to our clinic that we become this teaching component. And um, that's really hard to find. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. And I would say just to add on to that, I think a big part of what we do, you know, Dan and I and the rest of the advisors is, and much like you described, a lot of it is finding that pain point for the client. It's a different type of pain, but a lot of people come into our office because they either, a lot of times they don't come in, I should say, and because they're embarrassed. They think they, you're gonna, they're going to be judged. They should be further along than they were. They don't know where they stand in relationship to their goal. And, and you're right, a part of it is that education. Sometimes I'll get a kind of a blanket question like, what percentage of my salary should I be saving for retirement? And I say, you know, it, it, it's, it sounds like I'm avoiding the question, but in reality, it is different for everyone because everyone's got a different type of lifestyle. Everyone has a different type of factors, whether there be a pension or um, another spouse working or not working and, and so on. And so I think that some, someone's got to be open to, to, to wanting the help, right? Open to suggestion. If someone came in and every idea I gave them, much like yourself, they said, well, I think we should invest it this way or I think I should do this. That's great, but you could do that for yourself or maybe there's someone else. So I, I think there's, I think that's why I love talking to people in different lines of work because you realize a lot of it is so, so very similar. And I uh, will be honest, personalities come out. So, uh, let's just, uh, pick Danny cause I love him so much. Um, say his personality sucked, but yeah. he's a really good salesman, right? Yeah. That then would turn you, you off. That would turn you off because you know he when he speaks when he talks to you when he's engaging with you when you he's trying to show you different things he's coming from a point of not just intellect but coming from a point of options and for your betterment mm -hmm. not so much like um okay what can i get out of this if i have him upsell this or downsell this it's not going to be salesy which i like i said you can feel that with people right that's why the stigma of like car salesman is like ah we need a warranty <laughs> <laughs> the stigma is there because it's shown in previous things i'm sure they're great people but then you can feel certain things about someone and i hope people develop that sensational that sense like eh, something's not right that's why you take more time yeah no <laughs> yeah i mean when i came into the business which was 2007 where, where i started I, it felt an awful lot like that the people were it was all about the sales or the numbers and, the num and those types volume of, yeah, yeah. And, and that's why eventually I, I left because I knew this isn't one, it's not sustainable. It's not the right way to do things. And I don't quite frankly, I don't feel good about doing it. And so it's, it's been a blessing for me that, that three buckets came together and Dan, you know, joining us when, when he did, when he changed careers and, and how, and, and obviously to hear a success story 
like yours and I, you know, he was on a podcast for an hour. He never mentioned the firefighter thing. I, I don't know how I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, in his office, he's got a helmet. I think it's his grandpa's. And it stuff. is, yeah. yeah. He Maybe yeah. he did. I just forgot that yeah, he, was, he did a part of that. I don't know if he looks like a firefighter, but I don't know what firefighters <laughs> are supposed to look like, right? Are they supposed to be six-pack and oiled up and just on calendars? <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, you no, no calendar work will cause at any point? That's for a different... No, no I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's for a different podcast. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But even like that, when we were talking about like um, the clinic itself, it's it's very difficult because our practice, when we talked about volume and just seeing a lot and making a quote unquote sale, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the big thing for us is we don't want to be that big that we are helping. We're losing connecting and valuing people's time that we're giving it up for financial gains, Right. That's why for us, once we see a certain amount of population or certain numbers, we have a limit. We, we, we don't want to see any more than that. We'll push it to a different day. We'll, we'll, we'll give it to someone else. We're like, hey, this is a good chiropractor. Why don't you go to this office? Hey, go to our other office that we have in Boston Spa. No problem. So we want – the thing is abundance. There are more than enough chiropractors in the area. There are more than enough personal trainers in the area. There are more than enough massage people in the area. There's more than enough whatever in the area for you to find the one that works for you. And if it doesn't, come back to us and we will make it work. Yeah. But the thing is, we don't want high volume. We don't want to see next person turn it over, turn it over, turn it over, turn it over. We're just, then we're just you know, cookie cutter treatments. Everybody gets the same thing. Low back pain gets A. Neck pain gets B. How do you know what that low back pain is? Is it A? Is it A plus? Is it A minus? Is it right. AA? Is it A minus A? So that's why we rather take the time and figure it out. And if it takes us a little bit longer, that's okay with us because we really need to figure out, is this really appropriate for chiropractic care? Does it need to go to massage? Do we need you to go to see, get a consult from orthopedic surgeon? We have those connections also with our community and the docs because they know that we're going to do a thorough job. So when we send patients over to another clinic or to an orthopedic or to PT or to massage, they're like, yep, they came from Alta Chiropractic. Cool. We know their value. They're pretty good about it. And we send our notes over so they are aware of what we did so they don't have to repeat it as well. So they can have the history of what we did, what worked, what didn't work, and they don't have to start from scratch as well. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it, that and I really think that's the best way to do it. You have to, you have to limit it. I, not same thing with me. I can't work with a thousand households. Nope. and and do a good job. And kind of like to your point about the plenty of this and plenty of that. I always joke that if you and you've been to our office a number of times, yeah. but there's about six different financial firms, you know, right in that corner. So yeah, it's not there. You're, you're not. It's not hard for you to be replaced, right? It's no, right. Like, it's you know, like I said, there's a very low percentage of population that have their doctor in the United States. And secondly, there are plenty of chiropractors. You just Google chiropractors near me, you'll find good people and you'll find not so good people, just like hairdressers or any other profession that's out there. The thing is, which one sticks with you, which one works for you, and which one's going to help you? The three questions that we get asked when people come to the office are, can you help me? Do you know what this is? And how much is this going to cost? Yeah. Right. And usually the first two hold priority because when you're in pain, it doesn't matter how much it's going to cost. Right. At the end, once you get out of pain, I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't come covered by insurance? We take most insurances, but, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, that's the other thing. People don't want to take insurance because they don't want to deal with that aspect of it. But that's a separate conversation about healthcare and the 
industry over there. Yeah, it, and it sounds like just from the vast array of things that you offer, you must have a clientele or patient base from 20 to 90, is that Yeah, so we, we uh, the youngest patient I've adjusted is three months, and the oldest is 84. Wow. Now, like I said, we treated Albany Empire, which uh, we were their official chiropractors for the season of 2019, which also won Sierra Arena uh, Championship League. And those guys are young, active, muscular, robust, you know, get beat up here and there. I would not adjust them the same way I would adjust a small child. Yeah. Right? You have to adapt your treatment for the audience that you're treating. So the range of age group is varied. The range of type of care is varied. And the range of type of things that we see are varied. So we'll see like discs that are super hot, meaning pain down the leg, can't stand just before surgery. If we can knock it down, that's good. If our, our goal is to not have you go through surgery. Right. There's a time and a place for medicine. There's a time and a place for surgery. There's a time and a place for all these facets of healthcare. But just because you roll an ankle doesn't mean we should chop it off. <laughs> First thing is like compress it. Then we try to elevate it and so on and so on. So if we can do least invasive to more invasive type of treatments, then we're on the right track. Now, if we know statistically that the more invasive is going to be expedited, and it has a higher probability of getting better than the least invasive when we don't want to waste time, great, right? Someone comes in with a broken leg, we're like, let's just try PT. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe not. I can see the bone. Let's go to urgent care. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that is not in my yeah. mouth. Yeah. So, and someone that rolls an ankle, maybe, you know, and they can stand on it, load bear. Maybe we need to, don't need to go to surgery. Let's go to PT. Let's figure out what we need to do. Or let's go to OT and so on and so on. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a cool realm, uh, but you also have to stay within your realm. Right. Yeah. And, and that's when a new um, prospect comes in that I meet with, I'm at a point now where it's not necessarily this is someone I'm going to work with. It's who is the right fit on the team based on age, personality. And, and I think that's so important. It's best for the client, best for the firm, best best for everyone. And it sounds like you guys have a have a similar mindset when it comes to that kind of thing, which is great. And it's funny you say that because with personalities, there are certain people that want to be seen by me versus Dr. Block. And there are certain people that want to be seen by my partner, Dr. Block, versus me. You don't take it personally. Right. It's just how the cookie crumbles. It's just how the tide rolls. It's not the end of the world. The big thing is, are they getting the care that they need? And that's the most important part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Would we miss? Oh, let's see. I'm sure there's we plenty. Got... Really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not much. I think we talked about school. We talked about breakdancing, working. Um, we did the firefighting. We, um, my business. I worked for my dad who owns a motel. Yeah, well, you never mentioned. Where is the motel? Oh, yeah. So that's Coca's Motel right in Malta. Oh, great. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Uh, I help them out with that as well. And then I also have a side gig that I do. So with firefighting, uh, with working at my clinic and the fitness center, I also work at the YMCA to help out. I'm running a sports performance class at this time and uh, the motel. And then there's just plenty of time in the world, man, to hang out. Yeah. Just take it casually. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Well, I got a couple more things for you. The first one, especially because you mentioned talking about those goals and having a, having, you know, a target in mind. I don't, I don't want to look out 20 years, but over the next four or five years, what, what do you see for yourself personally, professionally? Where do, you, where do you hope to be? Where do you think you'll be? Absolutely. I think in the next 
four to five years, I definitely plan on being married uh, and having a kid at that point. You know, that's number uh, one on my personal goals, uh, wed the right person. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's number one. Number two is definitely with the clinic, uh, potentially opening up another clinic, as well as having some real estate under my belt. Um, And then also taking some time off because I don't, uh, I don't really do much, uh, as much as we talked about having a social outlet and it's good to hang out with family and read books. Um, last time I traveled was 2019, uh, just because I, uh, I'd rather focus on my job and my career that I want to expedite. And if I can focus that energy towards what I want to do and be financially successful, I will, I want to work right now. Like no one's ever worked so I can live later. Like no one's ever lived. Right. right, And that's kind of my other financial goal is not just to own property, but to also scale a lot of my business so we don't, I don't have to be there all the time. And that's pretty much it. I don't really have like these like astronomical goals and two properties max, financially stable with my business and also hopefully be married and have one or two kids at that time. So super simple guy, but uh, I'm like... There's a saying, I forget what it is, is like complicatedly simple or something like that. I'm like super complicated, but it's a simple concept. Right. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And, yeah. and that's, those are, geez, I, just knowing you and talking to you, I, I would be shocked if those things don't happen for you in the next four or five years. Yeah, God bless, man. God bless. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I know you've listened to a couple episodes in the past. We'd like to close out with what I call whatever it may be. So it's 60 seconds on the clock. You know, short answer, one to fewer answers. Um you think you're up for it? I know. Absolutely. Okay. Let's, let's get I know after. you're a busy man. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to begin in five, four, three, two, one. What is your favorite animal? Lion. Color? Red. What is the word you hate hearing? Um. <laughs> I like that. What is your uh, favorite word in another language? Bus, which means stop in Urdu. Love it. Um, what is your favorite type of music? Probably rap. What were you afraid of as a child? The dark. Favorite season of the year? All of them. Perfect. Um, what is your favorite food? Anything with white rice or naan. I love naan. Love it. Love it. (laughs) Um, you mentioned your last vacation was in, in 2019. What is your favorite or what would be the next vacation destination you'd like to go to? I don't have a favorite place to go to. I just enjoy the people I'm going with. Love it. And lastly, because you have a sweet tooth, what is your favorite dessert? Chocolate chip cookies. Bang. And he did it. He, I think that's the most we've ever got done oh, really? in a 60 second. I'll go back, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Yeah, people forget the rules. They're not rule, rule followers like you and me will cause. Yeah, you know, we, they start elaborating. And Although I do, tell me the word again, your favorite word in another language. Bus, like the school bus. Yep. It means stop. Okay. It's like bus, 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 bus. And, and that's Pakistani? <laughs> that's in Urdu, yeah. So the language of Pakistan is Urdu, U-R-D-U. Like um, American is English, or America is English. You wouldn't be like, hey, you speak American? Right. Right, you speak English. So same thing in Pakistan, you speak Urdu. And there's multiple languages like Punjabi, Gujarati, and much other ones, but prim- predominantly English and Urdu are the primary languages. That's so. fa- that's fantastic. Well, listen, you've been a tremendous guest. 
Um, I, I want you to give me the names of those books because I think people would be really interested. And I'm going I'm to try to, you got to hold me to that. A yeah, book, a, book yeah, a month. I, I think that's a great thing. It's tough, man. I realized that I fall asleep so fast when reading a book. <laughs> I was on the train the other day and the same thing. I opened a book and then it's like, oh, the, the train movement or whatever. Yeah. It's like, oh, maybe I'll just rest my eyes yeah. for a little. What do costs say? Sleep and work and I guess I'll rest. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Sleep, work, and leisure. You only got two. I love it. So it's a lot of great stuff to digest. Um, Wakas, again, thanks so much. I'm sure I'll have you back because um, I, I got a lot out of this, and I know there's a bunch more you have to share. So I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, and it was a great chat with you. So Thanks a lot. Wakas Pervez from Malta Chiropractic here in the capital region of New York. Wakas, I'll see you soon, man. Thanks, man. You too.